Our gospel reading for this Lord's Day is John chapter 10, the first 10 verses. Pay close attention. This is God's holy word. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's give thanks. O Father, our Lord Jesus said that his sheep hear his voice, and so indeed may we hear the voice of our Good Shepherd today through the words of this gospel. Open our ears so that we may hear and obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1978, Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson released their hit duet, Mama, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. And in that song, they listed all their arguments for why a mother would want to prevent her son from choosing the life of a cowboy. Cowboys are characterized by aloofness and independence and mystery. And of course, they pick guitars and drive old trucks. Now, the irony in the song is that everything that they describe actually makes you want to be a cowboy, no matter what mama may think or say. If Waylon and Willie were around in the first century, they would have sung Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. Even though we hear a great deal about shepherds in the Bible, they were in the first century not people who were considered to be pillars of the community. Shepherding was not noble or prestigious in any sense. They had to be loners, largely. They were dirty. They spent their time out in the pastures, away from society, away from people. They were among the lowest classes of the culture. And as a result, they were seen to be untrustworthy. Some people despise them because you must be suspect to be attracted to that kind of work. Maybe you did that kind of work because you couldn't do anything else. And because of this, they had a reputation, a bad reputation. They had a reputation of trampling on other people's land, of grazing on their pastures, which was, which was not only trespassing, but also akin to stealing. One rabbinical source from the time, the Mishnah, reads, One should not teach his son to be a donkey driver, camel driver, wagon driver, sailor, shepherd, or shopkeeper, because their profession is the profession of robbers. Well, that rabbi sounds a lot like Willie and Waylon. Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. So it's surprising then that on the night of Jesus's birth, the angels would appear first to the shepherds. Why would they appear to the shepherds? Who's going to believe them? They're these wild, shaggy outsiders. And yet it is on shepherds that the light of the incarnation first shines. Here in John chapter 10, Jesus himself 
identifies as a shepherd. Despite that society's loathing of shepherds, shepherds played a key role in Israel's history. Psalm 23 tells us that Yahweh is our shepherd and that we are his sheep. King David was himself the beloved shepherd king who cared for the flock of God, the people, as a shepherd cares for his sheep. Ezekiel chapter 34 exposes the derelict leaders of Israel as bad shepherds, and Yahweh rebukes them for their false, self-serving, callous, neglectful ways which expose the sheep to predators. And the Lord says to them, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Well, the patriarchs were all shepherds, weren't they? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons, they all had their flocks and they all had their herds. In fact, that was one of the reasons the Egyptians disrespected them. At the end of Genesis 46, we read, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Okay, so what kind of culture hates shepherds? Well, a culture like Egypt. It's just one more example of how unbelieving Israel is becoming more and more like Egypt by Jesus' time. So because of this rich heritage of the value and position of shepherds in Israel's history, Jesus openly describes himself as a shepherd, and the people are his sheep. Well, that's not a compliment to call us and his disciples sheep. I've never spent any time around sheep, so I have to read and listen to those who have and try to understand what sheep are like. But it seems that sheep are followers. They're inclined from an early age to follow whatever the other sheep are doing. And it's not like sheep are these deep thinkers uh, considering about whether they should do what the other sheep are doing, whether or not they should follow. They're conditioned to follow. They find safety in numbers, so they stick closely together. They don't spread out very far when they're grazing. They ordinarily like to keep four or five other sheep in view, Though that doesn't mean they never wander off. They do. In fact, they very rarely walk in a straight line. If they're walking down a path or a road, they kind of meander from one side to the other. It helps them see what's behind them to see if there's a predator following. But it's not so great to help them to go in one decisive direction. So they can see a predator or danger 1,500 yards away, but they have a lot of trouble finding an open gate without help. And they do have a tendency to get themselves into predicaments. They get caught up in brambles or wedged in rocks. Sheep rely on their shepherd to get them unstuck, to lead them in straight lines, to protect them from predators, to find good pasture land and fresh water. That's the kind of good shepherd Psalm 23 tells us about. That's the kind of good shepherd Yahweh is and the kind of shepherd Jesus says he is. Well, what brings us to John chapter 10 today? What brings us to this passage? In these Sundays of Easter, we have been following the same gospel readings from the lectionary that Christians all around the world are reading each Sunday. And these gospel readings have taken us through the themes of the resurrection life of Jesus and how the earth-shattering reality of the resurrection of Jesus has been received in the face of doubt and disbelief. And so we've seen this doubt and disbelief in the stories of Mary Magdalene and the apostles, notably Thomas, and then the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Today, we go backwards in time from the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus to this place in his ministry where Jesus addresses the kind of resurrection life that he is bringing through his work. Here in this chapter, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, 
I have the power to lay my life down and the power to take it up again. If people's ears had been open to hear that, they would have known that he was talking about his own resurrection. He also talks about abundant life, life overflowing, life unlimited by the grave or death. These are all the things that he preaches after his resurrection. Here, he speaks of them before his resurrection. Well, what is going on when Jesus says this in John chapter 10? If you'll remember several weeks ago, we studied John 9 and the story of the man born blind who was given sight by Jesus. The local Pharisees, the leaders of the synagogue, did not rejoice in that miracle. Rather than praising God for the sign of their own deliverance, that, that this was clearly done by Jesus the Messiah, rather than giving him praise, they begin to bully and threaten anyone who follows Jesus. They say, if you follow Jesus, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue. And so to be cut off from the synagogue was to be cut off from the life of the community. Your family would disown you. And so because of their threats, even the blind man's mother and father are intimidated into silence. So now Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and he tells them that there are the blind ones there at the end of chapter nine. He says, you're the blind ones. In fact, you're willfully blind. They are deliberately ignoring the evidence right in front of them that their Messiah has come. And now flowing right into chapter 10, flowing into this parable of the good shepherd, Jesus contrasts his love for the people and their abuse of the people. He's warning everyone that if Israel continues to follow the lead of these false shepherds, these blind thieves and robbers, they're all going to be destroyed. They'll all fall in the ditch. And so Jesus first contrasts the true shepherd and the thieves. There are those who are trying to get to the flock, not so that they can lead them out to green pastures, not so they can care for them, but so that they can steal them. So they don't go through the door. They sneak around some other way so that they can have access to the sheep. History is littered with the stories of men who have aspired to have influence and power and rule over people. But for the most part, they've been thieves who spoil the flock, who destroy it rather than shepherds who nourish the flock. They exploit and abuse and mistreat the sheep. We still talk about it this way, don't we? We say we're fleeced. We're fleeced by oppressors. All false shepherds, all oppressive, tyrannical leaders have one thing in common. They do not follow the way of Jesus. And he outlines it in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's what defines a good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. You see, there's a difference. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd because I give my life for the sheep. He puts himself between the danger and the sheep, giving them a life of both security and liberty. The false shepherd flees. They didn't come in the right way. They don't go out the right way. And because they don't follow and imitate Jesus, their rule always ends in disaster. We have such a skewed view of leadership and authority because in the world, it seems we always see it abused. We rarely see authority and leadership as a source of flourishing and nourishment for a society the way it is meant to be when you have a good shepherd. Well, we all know what it's like to be under one of these thieves and robbers that Jesus describes. 
The only way to exercise proper biblical leadership is to enter the true door, which Jesus has opened and go through. And the shepherd who goes into the sheep, the way Jesus went into the sheep, that's the one you recognize and trust and follow. Well, how do the Pharisees respond to this? I mean, he's talking about them and they know that he's talking about them. So in verse six, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Later in the same chapter, they accuse him of not being clear enough. Over in verse 24, the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. They're standing around pretending like they don't have enough information to make an informed decision. Well, they've got all the information they need. They just didn't like the fact that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. They had different plans for Messiah. They had a different idea of what he would be like, and he didn't measure up to their expectations. Now, since they would not acknowledge the truth of his claims, and since they could not convince everybody to ignore Jesus, all that is left for them to do was to kill him. But there's a vital point here in their unbelief. Unbelief is never the result of inadequate information. God has provided more than adequate data for belief. God has revealed himself in creation. He has revealed himself in his word. He has revealed himself through Jesus and through his people, his body, the church. No one anywhere is suffering from a lack of data. Unbelief does not come from a lack of information. Unbelief is an unwillingness to believe what God has already revealed. So Jesus comes at it again. He doubles down on the force of what he just said in verse 7. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He starts with a little mixing of the metaphor, which he's allowed to do. First, he talked about going in the door the right way. He talked about the way of leadership. And now he says, well, not only do you go in the door the right way, but I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. I've read that in many places in the Middle East, a shepherd will have his flocks out way past the barns and the buildings at night, and he can't get back to town or he can't get back to the the barn. And so he has these well-known caves or hollows where he leads the sheep to go at night. But these are natural enclosures. They're protected on three sides so that the shepherd himself physically becomes the fourth wall, the door. And he lays across the mouth of the cave to protect the sheep. He puts himself between the sheep and the elements, between the sheep and the predators and all dangers and threats. So the danger is on one side, the sheep is on the other side, and the shepherd is the barrier in between. And Jesus says, that's what I am. That's the kind of shepherd I am. Is that the kind of shepherd you are, Pharisees? Is that the kind of shepherd you are, leaders of the synagogue? Not to mention Herod. We know Herod is not that kind of shepherd. We know certainly Caesar is not that shepherd. So again, no, they're not these kinds of shepherds who follow Jesus. They exploit people. Jesus told them in Luke's gospel, he said, you devour widows' houses. And then for pretense, for show, you make these long public prayers to demonstrate how pious you are. I know what you're up to, Jesus said. And so here in John 10, Jesus declares boldly, all these who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep, 
the faithful ones, didn't listen to any of them. I am the real shepherd. I am the real door. Well, that's a bold and powerful claim. Do you know how offensive that would be? Especially to those who he's accusing of being thieves and robbers. And then you might listen to him and say, well, I mean, some of the other shepherds and leaders and the authorities hanging around might have some merits, right? I mean, how can you say all of them are thieves and robbers? No, Jesus says all of the ones you have been subjected to all of your lives, all the ones who came before me came to steal and to kill and destroy. I came to give you life and life abundant. I'm the only one who can do that, Jesus says. And from now on, the only ones who shepherd like I shepherd can give you life. That's a stark contrast. Jesus is saying, there's me and everybody else. Do you believe that? You see, Jesus talks this way because there's no life in the world. Life comes from God. Life is only revealed and demonstrated and shared through union with the resurrected one, the one who has life. Outside of him, there is only death. Outside of him, there's only destruction, which means that if you are not a member of his body, if you aren't one of his sheep, if you're not abiding in his sheepfold, you are dwelling in death. You occupy the realm of darkness. That's your address. Where do you live? Death. Jesus alone has life and only he can give life. So if you have gone through his door, have entered his flock, then you're one of his. He'll rescue you from danger and you will have life in full. But this life only belongs to those who belong to him. His sheep are partakers of his life. Salvation then means being delivered from the death of the world and being brought into the life of the Savior. He is the good shepherd who gives life and gives it in a way that you can possess it more abundantly. What does he mean by that? What, what does it mean to have abundant life? Well, he's just described it in these parables. Listen again to verse three. He said to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Possessing abundant life means knowing the voice of the savior and to be known by him. He knows each one of his sheep. I have communion and covenant and a real relationship with the king and creator of the universe. He knows my name. He tells me what he expects of me, what pleases him. And I get to talk to him and I get to ask for his strength and, and for his help and for his deliverance. And then based on that loving relationship, he provides me both security and liberty. Listen to verse nine again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I have security because I am saved. I am delivered. I'm protected by the only one in the cosmos who can keep me secure. So I have security. Every other claimant to that is false. Everyone else who says they can keep me safe is false. It's not true. Only Jesus gives me security. And I also have liberty because he says we go in and out and find pasture. By the way, this phrase going in and out and finding pasture this describes a shepherd uh, who leads us in and out. And, and that's the job description that Moses prayed to God in Numbers chapter 27. When Moses was praying for a man to lead Israel in his place after his death, listen to Moses' prayer. Let Yahweh set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, 
who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of Yahweh may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And so in answer to that prayer, God sent them Joshua. Joshua was a faithful shepherd just like that. Now, Jesus says he's the greater Joshua. Even they've got the same name, Joshua and Jesus, Yeshua. It's the same name. And now Jesus is that kind of shepherd for all the people of God. And he does what no other human ruler has ever done perfectly. And what Jesus does is provide for both the security and the freedom of his people. Everyone everywhere wants some balance of security and freedom. But it seems that there's always some crisis. There's always some reason we're being told that we can only have one at the cost of the other. The oppressor always points to some imminent danger, which there's an endless supply of. There's an endless supply of dangers. And in the name of security, in the name of safety, he robs the people of liberty. The world is full of these self-appointed saviors who offer security on different terms than what Jesus offers. Well, they're not entering the door. They go by some other way, as Jesus described. That makes them thieves and robbers. They don't lay down their lives for the sheep. They don't do what Jesus does. And so when things become too stifling and too onerous under the leadership of these thieves and robbers, you see the rise of liberators who offer freedom at the cost of security. And again, they offer freedom on different terms than what Jesus offers. And without fail, the liberator, the revolutionary, becomes the tyrant and the whole cycle starts over again. But Jesus says those who know the voice of the shepherd will not be seduced by either of these false shepherds. They know that the ones who do not follow the way of Jesus cannot be trusted to either keep us safe or to secure our liberty. Only Jesus can meet our needs and he sets the standard. And so we don't listen to the voices of other saviors. Seriously, why would you want to listen to any other savior, any other shepherd? You would only ignore the voice of Jesus and follow another shepherd if you were convinced that Jesus is not the good shepherd he says he is. Do you really believe that? No. Okay, well, if you believe that he really is the good shepherd, then you must trust him. You must trust him completely. You must hear his voice, which his sheep do, and you must obey him, and you must follow him as his sheep do. Do not listen to the voice of another shepherd. Do not trust in anyone else or anything else but Jesus. Only he can save you. Only he can give you life and life abundant. Let us pray.